Good morning, Granville Chapel. Over the last seven weeks, we have been thinking together about how God speaks to us and how we can tune in better to what he's actually saying. We called the series Learning to Listen. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some current issues that are not comfortable or easy, but which demand our attention because they matter to our neighbors and therefore need to matter to us too. These issues too are really about listening and that's why we're calling this series Listening to a World in Pain. Today, we're gonna to tackle sin in the systems, race and power in an unfair world. This week marked the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, an act recorded in such horrifying detail that it woke many people up to the reality of racialized police brutality. Coming on the heels of the deaths of Breonna Taylor and countless others at the hands of the police in the US, collectively, we have become aware that all is not well in the United States of America. Probably like you, I have become more aware of the society level reality of a discriminatory racial system that advantages those who are white over those who are black, that imprisons a disproportionate number of black men, and that appears to doom most black people to a perpetuation of the poverty in which they have been born. What is really sad is the discovery that the white Christian churches of the USA are not just, broadly speaking, blind to these realities, but are often actually complicit in their preservation. Now, it's one thing to see the splinter in our brother's eye, but quite another to see what might very well be a log in our own. For example, my neighbor Stephen was driving up to the junction of Fraser Street and 41st a couple of weeks ago. As he approached the junction, he was shouted at by two white men. When he wound down his window to find out what they wanted, they racially abused him because of his Chinese heritage and threw their garbage at him. This was just one of a rising number of anti-Chinese hate incidents that has led to our city being labeled recently by Bloomberg magazine as the anti-Asian hate crime capital of North America. As I, hopefully like you, have been reading up on all this, I am discovering that Canada has not been spared from the evils of racism, and that many of our black, indigenous, and people of color have suffered on account of it. When we take the time to read history, we discover many sad stories from the colonial depredations of the English 
and the French that devastated the First Nations on to the discriminatory treatment of waves of people of color from all over the globe. So what is racism exactly? Well, here's a dictionary definition which will perhaps help us. It's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. I think part of the challenge with dealing with racism as an issue is that there are two distinct levels at which it operates. The first is at the level of the individual. We are individually responsible for the decisions we make and the actions we take and the biases that we carry. But the other level at which racism operates is the collective. And it is much more difficult to wrestle out because few of us want to bear responsibility for all the past sins of our people group. And many of us sense that simply feeling guilty about the past does not necessarily help anyone. But having said that, if systemic racism has benefited us in significant ways, what does justice and fairness and the Lord himself demand from us going forward? Perhaps this morning you are wondering what all this means in light of the fact that we are gathered as a local expression of the church. Does the Bible have anything to say to us with regard to this challenge? In Ephesians 2, the passage we had read to us this morning, Paul is addressing the Ephesians under their racial identity, at least from a Jewish perspective, as Gentiles. Gentiles was the collective term used by the Jews for all the races in the world who were not Jews. Paul reminds the Ephesians that until the coming of Jesus Christ, they had no part in the Jewish covenantal relationship with God and that they were without hope and without God in the world. But this lost and estranged state was overturned by the coming of Jesus Christ, specifically by his blood shed on the cross. Paul goes on to explain that Jesus himself is the peace bringer. In his death, he brought the estranged peoples of the world together, destroying the dividing wall of hostility that previously existed between them. The wall of hostility that Paul is describing was probably the wall of the court of the Gentiles in the Jerusalem temple, which marked the furthest point that the Gentiles could access in their desire to worship God in the temple. 
By Jesus' death, he abolished the law with its rules and regulations. And through the cross, he reconciled all people, Jews and Gentiles, to God. Through the work of Jesus, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul then traces out the implications. Everyone, whatever their racial or ethnic origin, now belongs as part of Father God's family. We have become become one family, the family of God in the world, as we follow Jesus together. In the church, at least, there should no longer even be categories of foreigners or aliens. All are loved. All are welcomed. All are valued. But if that is the uncompromising scriptural reality, what does that mean for us at Granville Chapel as a group of people who worship together, coming from a wide variety of ethnic and racial backgrounds? Last summer, some of you will remember a fascinating conversation that we recorded as we heard from different members of our community about their experiences on this issue of racism. In opening up this topic again today, I want to try to model an approach to this issue that hopefully can free up conversation around it and facilitate greater understanding and care for each other. Each of us has a responsibility to do a personal check. How has my personal history impacted me or others around the issue of racism? Are there people I distrust or dislike solely on account of their race? So for me, an Englishman who had the privilege of studying at Oxford University and whose first career was as a London Bobby, I have personal history of law enforcement in a context in South London of significant racial tension with the West Indian segment of the population. I did have power because of position, education, and role that advantaged me in that social context. There were dangers in exercising the powers I was given. And I think I have now had a lot of years to unlearn the legacy of suspicion and the potential stereotyping of others that I learned in that context. Now, like me, you have a story. And we need to listen to each other, hopefully in the context of our DNA and community groups we particularly need to hear the stories of those who have been wounded and hurt by racism. Where appropriate, we may well need to apologize and repent. On the macro level, the level of our communities, it is important 
that we learn about the history of our peoples. Racism, unfortunately, is found in every corner of the world. And none of us have much to be proud of in terms of our histories. As a young man, I left England largely unaware of the dreadful legacy of colonialism that mars the history of the English-speaking peoples. But I have read and continue to read the stories of the global plundering that happened in the name of the British crown that has impacted so many peoples around the world for harm. That at one point the Union Jack held undisputed sway over one quarter of the planet is not for me a cause for rejoicing. It is a cause of deep shame. Empire, generally speaking, is not a good thing. And those who have been on the exploited end of the British Empire will generally share this perception, despite some redeeming features. The fact that Christian mission marched hand in hand with so much of the colonial expansion of the empire has tainted the good news of Jesus for many. But once we have learned these histories, the great question that remains is, what then? Yes, we, all of us, should be opposed to racism in all its forms. It is a manifestation of injustice and often of oppression. The Old Testament reveals to us a God who delights in justice and who calls his people to be passionate in the cause of a new social order. Isaiah the prophet, speaking for God, asked, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Nikki Gumbel, well known because of the Alpha Course, recently commented that anti-racism is not enough. We as the church need to be pro-diversity. Those of us who have emerged from the murky history of the past with power through racism need to understand that the power we have been entrusted with can be used constructively. We need to listen to the pain of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have suffered from racism and to be proactive in promoting and supporting them. Jesus is able to heal. And as his body here on earth, we need to learn to support each other. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, recently had this to say. Today, the church worldwide is the most culturally and socially diverse community on earth. Day by day, we conspire to follow Jesus, 
by serving, forgiving, and creating beauty. Around the world, we seek to educate, liberate, and advocate for those who have no voice. May we at Granville Chapel be a faith community honest enough to look fairly at our history, humble enough to recognize where we have fallen short, and courageous enough to become a community of hope for racial reconciliation for our whole city, all the while proclaiming Jesus as the hope of the world and the inbringer of a kingdom where righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Mm -hmm.